This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. With his very serious voice and Eric Shaw Quinn, who's just never serious about anything. Never serious, never focused, never a grown-up, never very mature. Never, never Ever. But what we are are the loud gaze in your ears while you do housework, apparently, because that's when many of you listen to us as our Facebook page that's, revealed. You know, whistle while you work, babe. Like, yeah. whatever helps. We're glad that we can be a part of your life, however you include us. Uh, True Crime TV Club is back. Christopher's pointing at me like people can see us or something. <laughs> and you're looking at no one next to you for I help. Know. I'm turning to the audience who's not there. <laughs> True Crime TV Club is back this week. However, we have a surprise we're going to talk about at the end of the episode. To a new feature. Something very special is coming to TDPS. A new type of serving, if you will. <laughs> um, Should we talk about it now or you want to wait till the end? Well, it's, it's, your, it's sort of your brainchild, so why don't you talk about it now? Okay, well, Christopher and I had this really interesting experience. We watched... We were driving on a dark road, and a bright light came out of the sky. And it seemed like an owl had crashed into <laughs> some power lines. But actually, we learned later from Anne that that was a cover for, for alien, abduction. alien abduction. No, none of that happened. Right. Sadly, our lives are really boring. We just live in town and, you know, drink a lot of tea and uh, deal with stuff that we watch Talk on television. a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what we watched on television was the new Netflix series, Bodies, mm -hmm. which... I actually had decided to kind of take a pass on based on the um, the trailer. Mm. I looked at it and went, yeah, there's some things that aren't going to work for me there. This is going to be, um, no. Mm -hmm. And Christopher started watching it and he told me about it and I was like, oh, all right, well, mm -hmm. I'll try it. And then we were hooked. Hooked. I mean, like, yeah, in a week, kabam. And we don't want to spoil it. We don't want to do it like we do our usual things. So we came up with this amazing idea. <laughs> By we, we mean Eric. This was actually his right. amazing idea. At like one o'clock in the morning when we both finished it. <laughs> Started episode, texting me about it. Ragged and tired and right. freaked out about the show. Um, and so we've decided that we're going to do a, our very first VIPP, mm -hmm. very important party people, special segment. Uh, so, <laughs> I no, told you we it. would forget we what forgot. it was called. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Uh, it's going to be called uh, a VIPP Insider Episode. 
And it's only available to VIPPs, which is people who have signed up for the mailing list. Right. Our, our email newsletter, yes. Not a physical mailing so list. So if you do that, you can get the link yeah. to that. And there's also going to be a um, VIPP group discussion. Facebook group. Facebook right. group. Yeah. Um, where we will talk about it in depth. This is really good, such a good series. We don't want to do spoilers like we usually do. Mm -hmm. We want to, so we encourage you to actually watch it. And then sometime in the next week, you'll. <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Podcast host scheduling. If we remember after we record this episode, right. um, we will send out the link to the. Um, Special edition, no. VIPP insider episode. Insider episode. Yes. We've got a lot of different branding <laughs> A lot on of our different show. branding. The insider episode, and we'll start that group so that you can join and we can actually, right. and we'll probably schedule a time where we will actually be there. But that will also be sent out mm -hmm. to the people who have signed up. So the big news is you better sign up for our mailing list because more good stuff is coming to the people on the mailing list. And all party people are very important to us. But yes. the VIPPs are the people who've actually signed up to be on the um, TDPS mailing list. And none of this comes at a charge. We're not no. charging for any of this. All you have to do is, yeah. you know, sign up so that we can stay in touch with you and you will be able to be in better touch with us. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and watch bodies. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. You yeah. should totally watch it. But we're not going to talk about it much more. We'll remind you again at the end, but I thought we should do it at the beginning in case you got bored and dropped up. <laughs> Before you get to the ending, because you never know how that's going to work out. I didn't give a shit about oh what they were talking God, about with that true crime. Shut up. All I wanted to hear about was that Netflix show, and they kept talking about murder in the heart. I thought there would be more discussion of Glotion this week, and when they didn't bring it up after the second segment, I just gave up. <laughs> I'm all about Glotion. True crime. Hell with true crime. I have to say, you are referencing a lot of deep cuts from the TDPS library. The owl story, which I've told multiple times. The Glotion story, which lit up our switchboard last week. <laughs> we got a lot of calls <laughs> about the Glosion story. Just kidding. We don't actually get calls. And we don't call us. There's no. nobody to answer There's the phone. Nobody. Operators are not standing by. They quit a long time ago. Long gone. It just rings and rings and rings. Nobody knows. I could not listen to those queens anymore. No more. Enough. I got a job selling blue emu cream. <laughs> Probably another deep cut. Um, that could be a Wednesday question. Do you know what blue, blue emu, emu cream, cream is? We'll do that yeah. this Wednesday. Okay. So do we want to dive right into it? it? Okay, let's explain the theme for the month, and let's also explain, because I love explaining stuff. Okay, this is Christopher's part. Now, I did my part. That's my crazy promotional thing that I yes. came up with at 1 o'clock in the morning, and now... A TDPS month is not a calendar month, as many of you have pointed out to us on the <laughs> Facebook page. It's, and it has nothing to do with the moon, either. It doesn't. Or time, because podcasts you can listen to kind of whenever you want to, so month is just sort of a vague reference so this to is a, four episodes. A TDPS month is a stretch of four episodes that we usually record in a single sitting, which all have a similar theme or a topic. And because these episodes are going to be airing around Thanksgiving time. And it's time to, you know, follow the, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. We thought we would deliver horrors in the heartland. Right. That's what that's I'm what, calling it. That's what, you know, grandma, what big teeth you have. Exactly. So these are all reasons not to go home for the holiday. That's how I'm going to put it. If you live in a big city, we're bringing you small town nightmares. And let me tell you something. 
something. There is no shortage of different true crime TV shows on this topic. We've got Murder in the Heartland. Uh, I can't remember what the other ones are called. Oh, Homicide for the Holidays. That's an old staple. We've done that a few times. Uh, let's see. What's the? And then after that, we're going to be bringing you... Uh, Murder Comes to Town, also about small towns. Uh-huh. And then I skipped one because I forgot to boldface it. Well, there's the notes. holidays, the homicide, homicide for the I holidays. I said homicide oh, for the holidays, you? yeah. Well, I wasn't you. paying any attention. I know, yes. I don't listen to this show. I don't pay attention during <laughs> your part. So anyway, these are all going to be reasons not to go home and spend time with your family because a small town can be a terrible place to be. I Yeah, all this stuff that you hear about the peaceful, bucolic small towns of America, don't you believe it? Those fuckers really get up to some shit. We've had a, a week or two of watching some major – this these – these episodes. And are, they all begin like that. They begin with people saying, nothing bad ever nothing happened in ever our town. Nothing ever happens here. And I was like, well, what about this? This would count as something bad <laughs> that happened in your town. That's why we're here. Because yes. something horrible happened in your town. All right. So today's episode is uh, it's an episode of a show called Murder in the Heartland entitled A Deceitful Heart, Season 1, Episode 6. Now, I picked it. Because the synopsis, and the synopses are often very threadbare on these shows. It's like, a woman is murdered in her car. <laughs> and um, My favorite, my all-time favorite synopsis was um, a, a TV guide entry for Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the description was, um, older woman visits in-laws and loses mind. <laughs> And I was like, well, technically that's true. But yeah, it's hard to diagnose what kind of episode we're going to get from the description sometimes. So this one was a Michigan town is scandalized by a murder victim's double life. And I said, looks like it could be gay in the note I sent to Eric Shaw Quinn. So we'll find out. Was it gay? Was there a double life or was this bullshit that they were using to try and get us to watch this episode? Queer baiting, I believe, is the term they use for it. <laughs> yeah, that's so new. Yeah. It was. <laughs> that's a really recent term. Like, nobody ever used that term no, back in the... the no, this, yeah, no, TikTok invented that term. I don't know what you're talking nothing about. Nothing existed before TikTok. We yeah. old people just sat around in a room and stared at each other because we had no terms for anything. <laughs> you went playing with your abacuses and That's such right. Like. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's get down to it. Enough of this tomfoolery. Really? We're actually going to talk about the episode in the first segment? <laughs> I'm kind of hoping to get it over this with maybe, so we can talk about whatever we want to talk about at the end. This may be the first episode time that's ever happened. Anyway, well, let's get well, going. Well, okay, we could all, I, I think we should get going and then at the end we can tell one of those three stories that you referenced so that our new listeners aren't confused if they haven't already given you up. You should write what three stories they are down so that we remember them at the end. <laughs> This isn't memento. We can't just say insistent. We, we need an assistant. Do we to, have any assistants out there who to, want to come join to our team? Tattoo things on our bodies so yeah. that we can remember them every time we snap out of it or a new segment starts. Okay, so let's begin. Murder in the Heartline, Heartland, A Deceitful Heart. Season one, episode what? Uh, episode six. I already closed that file. <laughs> Season one, episode six. 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 It's my episode six. All right, then. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we've ever done this show before. We do shows. We have not. We have not. Okay. So there was a sort of like expressionistic prologue, almost a cinematic prologue, where we weren't quite sure who we were meeting or who we were talking to, but it became clear in the midst of it that she was the grown uh, daughter 
of the victim we had not yet met and that this crime happened when she was a very little girl because she is describing for us how she was picked up at the playground where she was playing with her friends by her mother and her aunt who told her that she had to come home, that something really bad had happened. And when she got there, they told her that her father uh, had died. And she then adds, it was years before she found out how he died. Dun, 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 dun. Title sequence. Berkeley, Michigan, which is 25 minutes outside of Detroit, is going to be our setting. Because that sounds like a really safe bucolic area. Which everyone claims it is in the opening. It's a wholesome slice of America, 25 says 25 minutes person. outside of Detroit, yeah. the murder capital of the world or whatever. Uh, I think the, they've gotten better, but I think it's only because everybody moved away. Well, I, I don't, I, like I and think. And Keith and Evan came, and so then everything really got better. If favorite. you haven't watched, what is that? The Bargain Block. Bargain Block. If you yeah. haven't watched Bargain Block, I really recommend Keith and Evan. They yeah. are just the most charming gay couple who renovate the most terrible, yeah, um, d- dilapidated abandoned homes. But that's another show. The, and Keith and Evan do not target this area, Berkeley, no. Michigan. This looks like, the, the shots they show of it look very suburban, very sort of white bread. It looks lovely. Yeah. December 19th, 2002, the Oakland County Sheriff's Office is dispatched to Oak Hill Road, which is just north of town. And there, Sergeant David Wirtz uh, tells us they got a call from a guy who was out collecting bottles and cans who'd found a body in a ditch. And that's the sort of activity that people participated in bucolic, small, isolated towns is collecting bottles and cans. That's a, that's a real small town activity. The body was not well hidden. It was a white male who was nude except for a Detroit Tigers t-shirt. It had a wedding ring on and a tattoo of the Grim Reaper on one arm and two obvious bullet holes. We are then treated to, as I put it in the notes, a lot of small-town bullshit. This never happens here. Everyone here is nice. We don't get this kind of crime. Everyone leaves their doors unlocked. Nobody here gets shot with their butt sticking up and in the air like this guy did. This was really something. I thought it might be sexual when they found him like that. It was, yeah. Which is where everybody goes. Why was he naked from the waist down? Okay, so... um, They put the information out about the body on the local news, and then they get a call from a woman named Rebecca Smith who says, that is my husband's tattoo. He also matches the general description of the victim. Michael Smith is ID'd as the victim. Yes, Eric, you're raising your hand. And I'm just going to say, for purposes later on, let's put an asterisk right here. Next to? They get a call from a woman saying, this is my husband's tattoo. Okay. Uh, The victim is the father of three, including two boys, with his current wife. It turns out they were being evicted. Also, I would just like to point out, they also have a daughter, which the the wife does not mention in the 911. He has two small children, she says, and it's two small boys. And it's like, he also has a daughter. So clearly it was not a blended family. Not going well. Uh, the story is that because they were being evicted from their home, she had dropped him at the bus station the night before so that he could go to Florida where he had some family. Little details about his behavior start to trickle out. Right, they hold them back. Back to rehab. That's what eventually. Back to rehab. Not to rehab, but back to rehab. His mother lives in Florida. Her name is Sarah Louise Settlemyers, and she loves Jesus. There is a lot of, she starts quoting Jesus from her first interview. There are paintings of Jesus on the on the walls of her house. She is very 
Jesus focus. So Jesus is sitting at the kitchen table holding her hand during one of the interviews. It's really it's very Jesus oriented. So they start interviewing her heart. They start interviewing a kind of regiment of Michael's relatives from Florida. Tina White, his sister, Brenda Cruz, his cousin, put an asterisk next to her. She's gonna become very important in the story. Uh so the cops know that he was killed at some point between December 9th and December nineteenth, which is the big window of time. Yeah, he left to go to back to rehab on right. the ninth, and then they found him naked in a ditch um, and on the 19th. Nobody so, reported him missing during this time. Because they weren't expecting him in Florida, and uh, she didn't look out for him to come back because she left him at the bus station. So it was kind of like, what had he been up to, and when did he get killed, and where were his pants? They interview Michael's wife, Rebecca, who says that the two of them met in the Navy and that he had a drinking problem even then, but he also had a tendency to go on, quote, religious kicks. There is no definition of what those are. If he goes on missionary to foreign countries, I don't know what they were talking about. And there's no, like, deep explanation of what happens when he has a lot to drink, but apparently that's a problem. Right. Nobody really details abusive behavior, but that's kind of the implication. Mm Mm-hmm. That he gets drunk and violent. The most immediate manifestation of his behavior was that he had stopped paying their rent. They are not getting evicted because of a paperwork error. He was not paying their rent. She had no idea until she got the eviction notice, and she said she dumped him and said that's it, which is why she was allegedly taking him to the bus station for him to go home to Florida. And somebody like her parents or something had gotten them an apartment that she was moving them into as a stopgap. It was was very unclear, and they kind of breezed past it, but she was finding other accommodations to try and take care of the children and her and provide for them um, since Michael was more interested in drinking and hanging out in ditches with his pants off. So, and then we meet the really helpful, loquacious co-worker, Tracy, who has a lot to say about all of this, even though it's clear she's not incredibly close to anybody involved in the crime. Tracy loves to run her mouth. willing to go on camera and talk about people, and that's what they need. Tracy needs a podcast about this town, because she has a lot of insight to offer. the, the... The recreations on this are really brief and almost non-existent and not great. And so I think they were filling it in with more chit-chat about the crime. It was more sort of steady cam following people around in their cars. I mean, Tracy's first interview, she's literally riding passenger seat in somebody's car talking to the camera crew over her shoulder. They would literally do like the most minimal. It was very minimal on re-encrapment. Thank God. Christopher hates those. I, I hate those. You know, I like them that they're big and trashy, but these weren't. These were the most sort of basic kind of yeah. whatever. The thing that I thought was really interesting during this um, this discussion was how much variance there was in Michael's appearance from one photograph oh, yeah. to the next. It was yeah. like Michael was a babe, and then it was like, what happened to Michael? Yeah, booze, I thought. It I guess so. Booze, like, it yeah. was not going well for Michael. Right. So Tracy's entree into this story, if you will, is that she worked at a car dealership with Michael, and she said he was the most asocial person she had ever worked with, which she said was very odd. She said people who work at car dealerships work long hours together, and they often become very close, and they go out together, and they party and drink together. Michael was like... Off on his own, doing his own thing. Which is strange for the drunk in the crowd to not be the party guy. But then he shows up at her house drunk late one night without warning, which she said was really weird. We weren't that close. 
I guess he was hitting on her. I didn't. I, that part of the story wasn't made clear. Like he shows up at her house drunk, right? Yes. Um, then the next, it's a Sunday night. She goes into work on Monday, and there's no sign of him. And she said she never saw him again. Yeah. So I'm not sure where that falls with the timeline of the actual murder. And they didn't make that clear, but I it was my feeling that that was one of the last times that anybody saw him alive. That that's when she took him to the to the rehab and. And he just never came back. Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So maybe my favorite part of this special, even though we're in a small town, they have an amazing forensic pathologist who looks like he, maybe he was in Detroit. I don't know when he got the case, but he was like on it and talking about deep science and how he, how he did the autopsy. The body was frozen. It that was, out. Yeah, yeah, really interesting, but lots of interesting information. In fact, I would say the most interesting information mm-hmm. in the, was provided by the, uh, the forensic examination of the... They're talking about the bullet holes? Yeah. yeah. There, there was one bullet hole that had a matching hole in the t-shirt he was wearing, and then another bullet hole in his abdominal area did not. So it didn't go through the shirt first. So his shirt was pulled up right. at the time of getting shot. So it's even more suggestive of what was happening during the time that he got shot because he didn't have any pants on and he was shot in the abdomen but not through his shirt. So what does that even mean? I would like to also say we are sneaking up on Eric's favorite point of analysis with these specials. Who is getting interviewed and who and isn't? who is not getting interviewed. <laughs> yes. So Penny Smith, Michael's ex-wife, lots to say on camera a lot, getting interviewed in her lots. kitchen. No sign 
of Rebecca, the mm-hmm. wife who called in to identify Michael as the victim. Other than old footage of her being interviewed by the police in interview rooms and on security cameras. I, is this this is going to maybe be really inappropriate, but is it appropriate for true crime watchers to request nationwide that police departments get better cameras for their interrogation? I don't see why not. <laughs> I mean, there's people, people are like, why can't this trial be on camera? I don't think any trials ought to be on camera because I think it ought to be about the trial and not mm-hmm. playing to the cameras. But yes, yeah, uh, for true on the for the purposes of true crime, I think all verdicts should be read on camera, and I think right, I think that um, all interviewed cameras should be of better quality so that well, if you're, the archival... Because yes, you're going to need to watch them in court and stuff, right. so you want them to be of quality for people to see them there. But it's also, like, there are behavioral cues that suggest guilt that are not readable on these bad quality cameras. And I, I, I would say think the detectives would need those, or the lawyers would need those. I think that they were sold to them by our terrible old marketing company <laughs> who convinced us... We had a marketing company once who convinced us that we should put install security cameras in here in the in the booth where we mm-hmm. record the show and then when we were moving or talking the cameras would record us and even though they didn't record sound mm-hmm. they would be able to sync up magically sync up the sound from the recordings we were making with the the um the security cam footage that we were it was the worst, most catastrophic, Horrible. complete waste of money. I, I think you were just throwing away the I last of the cameras. I just threw away the last of the cameras. Just recently. It was just one of the stupidest ideas. And I remember saying at the time, I said, okay, we will do this, but I want to be able to hit you <laughs> if it doesn't work. And I have never gotten to hit that guy, so I think he owes me. He should come by, <laughs> stop by the office, because I get to hit you. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I think when people get on our cases about, like, why aren't you guys on YouTube? Why aren't you? We, we have some PTSD about trying to set up old school camera systems in here. Like, if it's easier now, send us the link that proves it's easier now. Because I just, you know, we're cautious about that kind of stuff. Right. We'll, put, we'll set up a ring cam so you yeah. can tell when we're, <laughs> <laughs> when we're in the studio. All right. All right. So back to the case. We're interviewing Michael's ex-wife, Penny Smith. Um she says Michael was trying to get back with her because apparently he and Rebecca were getting divorced, which is new information that she brings us. Yeah, but I think everybody was saying Michael was trying to get with everybody. <laughs> Including Jesus, and, by way of his mom. And those those young ladies he met at that um, at that establishment. Oh, that's my favorite part of the story. I love let's that. Not, let's get to the twist. Okay. Okay. So it turns out Michael didn't purchase a bus ticket that night. At all. Or go in the bus station or was seen by anybody having anything to do with the bus. Okay, so remember, uh, dear listener, dear party person, at the beginning of this podcast, we picked this episode because it said, or I picked it and then forced it on Eric, that the victim was leading a double life and we were like, gay, gay, it means he's gay. Well, this is how they handle this in this special. There is a suggestion that he was involved in a gay relationship, somebody says. I think the detective being interviewed. And they don't say who suggested it, but then it turns <laughs> it was Tracy because she's the one suggesting everything in this yes. special. The, he wasn't actually gay. But there was a rumor at the dealership that he was because he wasn't partying with everybody else like a red-blooded all-American male. And then he got so drunk 
He went over to the gay part of town to a gay restaurant there that he didn't know was gay and started hitting on lesbians at the gay bar. And they went to question. They were like, this guy, Michael, he was here, right? Was he, is he one of y'all? And they're like, no, he was hitting on like Cheryl and Pam over there. We had to tell him, <laughs> dude, you're really barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> And I'm sitting there like, that's the gay twist? God damn it, he was such a fucking drunk. Anyway. Well, what I'm saying is, where is the double life? I don't see it. <laughs> what other, what, there was, like, he was a hound. He got yeah. drunk and tried to get with whoever he could get with, which, you know, okay, that doesn't really count as a double life, I don't <laughs> think. It's not artful enough for that. He's just a drunken, you know, Slut. Right. He's, he's not really hiding any of no. this. No. Yeah, totally. Not be, that's part of what seems to be the problem here. So let's get back to the only voice of sanity, which is not Tracy, but she's close. It's the pathologist who said the body was probably kept in a small space for several days before being dumped in a ditch. So a hunter's freezer, I think is what they're... I don't think that's actually the term for it, but it's the type of freezer, large sort of person-sized freezer that you can keep a slain animal in. And they, yeah, they said that it was really common in the area that a lot yeah. of people had great, huge, like, chest freezers, I guess is what mm -hmm. they meant, because they there was a lot of hunting, and, um, yeah, you needed to be able to keep a couple of dead deer in there, so that takes up a lot of freezer space. The special plays with the timeline here because it's not... Rebecca starts to say increasingly suspicious things during her questioning, and it's not clear how many interrogations we're seeing or if it's all one. Well, like, for instance, they discover that when they discover that he didn't go to the bus station or buy a bus ticket at the time, she said she was like, oh, well, actually, he came back to the house and that, I took yeah. him again the another day. And it was like, OK, but you didn't think to mention that earlier. And what are you talking about? And what? Right. And she does mention, though, that she has a work friend named Randy who might be interested in her. And it turns out Randy is a big hunter. So, oh, and the autopsy recovers two thirty-eight caliber bullets, and it turns out Randy has a gun matching that caliber. And she says, just incidentally, you know, he did say that one time that he was going to, if, uh, if Michael came back, he would kill him. Yeah. So they ask, they call him in. And he denies ever making the statement. <laughs> Never said that, he says. The detective being interviewed, and I, I rolled past his name, but he was I, I thought he was a pretty smart guy. Maybe it was Sergeant David Wirtz, I think. He says this quote, and I've heard this before, but I really like the way he put it. He said, the difference between the truth and the lie is simple. You don't have to remember the truth. You have to remember the lie. And you know who you heard that from. You, Eric That's Shaw. correct. Yeah, that absolutely. is absolutely Because you a liar and you know the truth. <laughs> I know when people are lying to me because you just, it's just, I, like I always say, it's I, I always tell the truth because it's too hard to remember the lies. Yeah. Also, you don't know how to keep your mouth shut. And I just <laughs> cannot keep my mouth shut. There's that. Yes. So they now show a split screen of Rebecca and Randy's interrogations. They're both denying that they conspired to kill Michael. And they both take polygraph tests. I can't remember the results. Did I put those in the notes? Because it's, it, 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 they're inadmissible. She fails. She fails. And he, he passes. He passes and she fails. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, hello. Yeah. So the relatives of Michael's down in Florida describe what it is like to attend a memorial service with the woman who is now the number one suspect for killing your loved one. Yes. The sister confronts her at the funeral, and Rebecca just says, well, I don't know what I can do to convince you I'm not the... And she gets her head up and all self-righteous. So, and then... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. We're good. We're already going all in on Rebecca. Um, Brenda, the tough cousin who uh, looks like someone we would hang out with on I the I think weekends. she may be the gay double life part of this story. <laughs> Just saying. She may be friends with Sharon Pam from yeah. back at the restaurant. She becomes an informant for the police. And the, the approach here I thought was interesting because it was a long game. They were not counting on Rebecca confessing to anybody, but they were counting on her being more and more inconsistent about her cover story to different people. So they wanted Brenda to collect the details of the cover story she was giving the family so they, the police could compare it to her cover story. I, I had never heard it put quite that way before. It's like you're not looking for somebody to get drunk and say, yeah, I really did it. You're looking for more inconsistencies that you can kind right. of chip so away at. Chip away at the story because clearly she is not telling what actually happened, and they're not sure if it includes the murder or if Randy did the murder or if she convinced Randy to do the murder or she's somebody's in on it with her or whatever. But it is not the story. It is not the truth yet. And so they're continuing to try and find their way to the truth, whatever that turns out to be. But Brenda says this was not an easy thing to do because at certain points she began to doubt Rebecca's guilt because Rebecca was so sort of, I don't want to say emotionally manipulative. I think she was just lying. I guess that's a form of manipulation, but it wasn't. Rebecca does not come out here as a master criminal by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, just stick around. There's a moment. Yeah, this is yeah. just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so uh, what really dooms her... And I think this is one of those, we don't like to give advice to criminals, but we do have to write criminals in our books, so we have to give them a sense of sort of um, and believability. And it's one of those things, like in L.A., there is a long, proud tradition of live coverage of high-speed chases on the neighbor on the, the freeways in the area. Right. And they all end exactly <laughs> the same way. And one wants to say to potential high-speed drivers in mm -hmm. these chases, Dude, this never works out. You get no. caught, you crash your car, you run for a little ways, and you get caught, or you end up getting out of the car, kneeling down on the freeway with your hands behind your head, and then lying down face down on the freeway, and then they cuff you and take you to jail. Nobody ever gets away. So why do people keep doing the high-speed chases? They're just choices that criminals make where you go, how did you see this playing out based on all of the data that's out there, like placing a call from jail. They're recording your calls from jail. But before there we're there, there's that, something else she does before there that sends her to jail. And that's this is another of those if moments. If you are going to kill your spouse, do not call the insurance company to check on the value of the policy. Because apparently, as the detective says, insurance companies keep amazing records, which means they had a record of the call. She may not have even requested anything official, but just calling to check on the value of the policy was in their system. And to when see they if looked. it was current. Yeah. Yeah. She's charged with open murder. I'm not sure I had heard that phrase before, which includes first and second degree. So I guess maybe that leaves it to the judge or the jury to decide. I, they, and I think it was partly because they weren't sure from the what the information they had this moment if she had done it as a premeditated crime or. Because, and we just really did not touch on this, and I'll bring it up as, you know, yeah. at the big conclusion, but, like, was this an abusive relationship? Yeah. There, it was alluded to, but it was never really dealt with. If he was abusing her, maybe she shot him as a result of the abuse, in which case maybe it's more second degree or even manslaughter that she didn't want to kill him, but she was defending herself or who knows. Mm -hmm. They couldn't really be sure. That was my take, but I've never heard the term open murder either. I've never heard it. 
I'm sure someone, one of our party people has, and will come onto the Facebook page and let us know. It's like a, a murder that happens while you're in a three-way. <laughs> I don't know what open murder a is. A non-monogamy, a poly right. murder. Okay. Right. So here, poly murderess. Here is the most <laughs> amazing part of this story. Here is the Gone Girl attempt at a Gone Girl-esque twist. From jail... And this is another of those pieces of advice to right. criminals. No letters and no phone calls from jail you go just, unmonitored. Once you're in jail, you there is yeah. no presumption that you will not be monitored. Rebecca thinks it will be genius to solicit several friends to write fake confession letters. <laughs> Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> Okay, so this is the, as I said, I teased this before the break, the Gone Girl, the attempt at a Gone Girl twist. Just the most ridiculous. I was one of the, I just, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, oh my God, you did what? So Rebecca writes multiple letters to friends from jail, soliciting them to, to mail, to write and mail anonymous confessions to Michael's murder to, it was multiple people, right, that she wanted to send them to, the judge, the lawyers, the local media. Um, and in so doing, she provided her friends with a with detailed description <laughs> of how she committed the crime. She like, basically confessed in pen and ink, including all kinds of details like his pants. She took off his pants because they got blood on them and she didn't want them. So, right. Like, that's what happened to his pants. She explains all of the stuff that is unexplained in the case in an effort to give them details that they right. need to have so that the, the confessions sound convincing. But, duh, nobody gets any of the letters because she's in jail. And mm -hmm. they were like, oh, well, she's written all these convenient confessions. We'll just use them against her. <laughs> Plus, there, there's, there's no sense that, that, that any of these people could possibly could possibly have changed the, the outcome of the event. Like, yeah. they were saying that the thing that they were looking for with her was that she could not shut up. Yeah. She couldn't stop talking about it. Like, the um, the the cousin who was doing the, the background check, that's why they put her as the, the sort of mm -hmm. background insider to give them the inside take on her was because she couldn't stop talking about it. She kept trying to tell this story. Right. And that was the asterisk that I put at the very beginning. Yeah. Well, let's just wrap it up, and then let's get into our, our opinions about it, as if we haven't had opinions along the way. You've already been doing impersonations of her, and we've never even heard her interviewed except on 
those terrible webcams. Uh, the the uh, security cams. She's found guilty and sentenced to thirty to sixty years in prison. So that's it. That's the wrap up. What because da. What was the asterisk? What did you put the asterisk next to? She called the police and told them that was her husband's tattoo. Like she started the investigation. Yeah. 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 Like, if you did the murder, don't start the investigation. Mm-hmm. Act surprised when they come by and tell you that, oh, yeah. your husband's dead. Because as far as she knew, he was at rehab. That's the story she was going with. Why would she be watching the news and responding to pictures of tattoos on the news? Like, it was like, don't call them. Do not yeah. call the police. Right. Like, she started the investigation that put her in jail for 60 years. Like, mm-hmm. Really, that seems like not a good choice to me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is that she was just the worst, the worst kind of, you know, like I, she I don't was wanna... determined to play the role of the grieving wife. I mean, that's what the letters were even about. And you that's know? what she had set up for herself. And when nobody was showing up to be her audience, she started selling tickets. And it yeah. was crazy. It was like, I don't want people to get away with murder, but you no. watch somebody do this sort of self-destructive stuff. And I think the other side of it is that's not being that was never discussed was the nature of their relationship. I think she was in an abusive relationship right. with an alcoholic and yeah. she wanted out of it. And that's how things came to pass. And I don't think that's a great solution, but I think that's a very different court case than, mm-hmm. you know, I staged this entire thing, lied to absolutely everybody about it, tried to get false confessions, like did all of this other stuff as opposed to my husband attacked me and I shot him. Like, yeah. okay, well, that's actually self-defense. Like, Did we ever get a satisfying explanation for why there was no matching bullet hole in the shirt for the second gunshot wound? Oh, yeah. It's in her description. She okay. describes how it all happened to right. the police, the... the the, um, to her friends. To her friends, who she's asking to <laughs> yeah. uh, file all the false confessions for. Like she explains all of the, all of the unanswered questions that the police have. She explained in her conf- confessions, her yeah. fake confessions, that were really her describing how she did the murder. Like the thing when she said the reason he didn't have any pants on was because she got blood on the pants and she didn't want to get it all over the freezer. Like, <sighs> like she, like everything that they were. Looking for, and I assume they could have gone to her house and looked in the freezer. And she even talks about hiding it next door. It wasn't even her freezer. She used the empty house next door that was being renovated. So I assume they could have gone there and probably found blood traces in the freezer itself if they had needed them, which they really didn't since she Mm -hmm. basically confessed to the crime. But all of the details of where the body had been, how it had been concealed, where it had been frozen, who had frozen it, why his pants weren't on, how he got shot, where the bullet wounds, how to account for those. Like, he didn't die right away, so she shot him again, or she let him die there on the floor. Like, it was really, it was kind of hideous. It was kind of, it was like a Beth Henley character Mm -hmm. confessing to a crime of an abusive husband. It was like, "Mm, well, I guess he kind of deserved it, but Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ, this is sort of cold-blooded. It was... It was hideous. It was hideous. You know, like, I I sit there, the writer in me is like, if it, because I actually am inclined to believe you that there it was an abusive marriage. Why why leave that out if you're producing this hour of television? Because, like, we've seen what they leave out. I thought you know? it was strange, and I don't, that I felt like there must have been some reason. Like, there were aspects of their relationship that were interesting to me. They like both what? met in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So they were both... Soldiers, right? 
at the same time. So there's there's a different kind of aesthetic between the from mm. the beginning. There's there's greater equality, and mm. you know they're both trained killers at some mm. level. So there is a certain aspect to that as well. Maybe she was less defenseless mm-hmm. than you know might typically Previous. be the case. Yeah. Like maybe there was domestic violence, but maybe she gave as good as she got. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it went both ways. I have no idea. None of those things were really discussed in depth. The other thing that I still am waiting for is the double life. It never yeah. emerged. I was like, was that something that got edited out for time and but, you, you know, didn't take it out of the, like, where is this double life? I don't see anything. There's nothing secretive about any of these people. Uh, so we were presented with the false gay twist, right, of he went to the lesbian bar. But her later uh, desire to make it a gay killer, I thought, was there more of a was a, a bisexual side to him that was not explored in this special? And you know? maybe. Like, I just felt like there was a lot missing from the story. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't seem like there was... It, the investigation seemed like, yeah, mm, she did it. Yeah, right. I didn't really, I wasn't left with any doubts there. But I did feel like in terms of motive, motivation, and the way that the thing unfolded, I, I felt like we were not given the whole picture for who these people were or what the problem was. Because it does seem, right, like there's mm-hmm. something else going on, even maybe with her. Like, yeah, right. I don't, you know, I I don't know what the nature of their relationship was or who they turned out to be in the long run, you know, like I, because they just really didn't explore any of that. Well, and again, it's like, I, I, it's a pain in the ass for the purposes of our podcast to watch stuff that's longer than an hour, but it also gives you more time to go into the story. I mean, when Dateline does what's essentially a two hour uh, episode when it's on commercial television, but it turns out to be an hour and a half if you stream it. They, they are able to stretch their legs and really dig into the motivations of why people did this and what the story is. You couldn't have told that story, the thing about Pam, in an hour, you know, which has become a kind of true crime classic. Oh, my God, because she was a serial killer. So, so many that, twists. That really was, yeah that, yeah, that was a much bigger story. This was Wife Kills Husband, yeah. and they, maybe it was an abusive relationship. I think they had plenty of time to tell that story. Yeah. And if there was a sense of him being... Unfaithful, he was. Yeah. If he was being unfaithful with people of the same sex, that would only have taken three more words to say yeah. than the other one. You know, like it didn't make any difference if it was men or women. He Once he got drunk, he would sleep with whoever. So mm-hmm. good for him, whatever. Yeah. Um, and maybe she wasn't cool with that. Yeah. Um, the religious kick. But the never defining what a religious kick was. I mean, is that he's going to reparative therapy? He's trying to get rid of an urge other than drinking? And maybe he's that like, would have been an interesting right. aspect to you. But there was, again, like that would have explained what the double life was. But they brought up the double life and then they didn't show us what one was. I I'm just... going to hit you with a question that we've never asked this succinctly before. But we have now... What we're up to having watched almost 200 true crime TV specials, documentaries, whatever you want to call them, for this podcast. Are, okay. are they journalism? Would you call them journalism? Hmm. I guess that's a really... I think sometimes they are. Mm-hmm. I think some of the things that we've watched are journalism. Sometimes I, I guess there's... In a way, they're journalisms, but they seem more akin to, like, a feature article than they do an actual news story, mm-hmm. which 
I don't know if there's a distinction made in the field of journalism between feature and news writing, but right. for me there is because yeah. I'm describing color and background and and giving a sort of overall picture of of a, of a circumstance or a setting or some kind of event, right. as opposed to um, I'm giving you the rundown of a very specific investigation in a very sort of just the facts, ma'am, kind of way. I think it would be really difficult to be interesting yeah. if you did just journalism, if you just did the facts that were involved. This is the, you know, like I'm not going to get. What give, do you think? I, I agree with you. I th- but I think this is where I started to really turn against the reenactments. Initially, I don't want to sound more sophisticated about this topic than I was. I just didn't like them. I didn't like them. I thought they were half assed television and they oh, weren't yeah. very good. But then we saw over time how they can be used to craft the narrative that the producers of an individual hour of television want to tell. Not the investigators, not the local paper, but the producers of Murder Comes to Town, for instance. And they can really be used at the expense of the truth. We saw a character transformed into a straight man, just completely straight-washed, the murder victim, by reenactments, by right. scripted reenactments that showed a court scene that never happened in which he was described as having visited a straight strip club and they showed women dancing on him. It was really, it was beyond manipulative. It was deceiving. And so that's when I really turned against these reenactments. So I would say the more reenactments they are, the less journalism, uh, journalistic I think the special can be considered because that's just dramatization. Well, what would you be? What would your definition there be of journalism? Like, like what news, are what are your news pro- news reporting is news reporting, right? And I guess that, and I definitely think that's that has an that is an aspect of journalism. But I think there are lots of other forms of journalism that are less. Driven by fact and more driven by supposition, color, sure, and opinion, I, um, editorial. I would say it's a it's a percentage question. It's a matter of degree. How much of what you are presenting to the audience is originating from a primary source, from an interview, right. from an investigator? I and I think the reenactments are one way of getting around that, but so is narration which I think is in one of the other episodes we're doing in a few weeks. A godlike voice is narrating things for you, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I, I realize that journalistic articles in the paper are written in the third person, but there are editorial standards in place, allegedly. Well, you know? I mean, there is a sense that um, the facts have been... Um, Sourced. Right. They have found, and not just a single source. Exactly. They have found corroboration in order to get to say, okay, this is, we are going to report this because it's not just somebody with vested interest says this, but also three other people who have no reason to say it other than it's the truth say it as well. And that's where some of these things drop out of what I would call journalism and move into just like storytelling. I I would agree. And I think the other way you see it is an abundance of friends being interviewed whose relationship to the victims or the suspects are not defined. She is a family friend, but she doesn't actually describe a relationship with them. She's someone from the town who wanted to be on camera, and she's telling them. And there are some of these specials where it is clear they are reading 
from a script. Oh, there are some where I think they bring in just actors who look like they're somebody <laughs> from the town to say something they need to say because they're never really ID'd or introduced. Right. And they just say, things like this never happen in this town. And then that's it. You never see them again. I know. And I have to write their name in our fucking notes. <laughs> and it's very annoying. But yeah, I think that's it. I think we can tell, and I think anyone, any reasonable person can tell, when even an hour of television is just one person telling you the same thing over and over again, even if it's an interview subject. I'm like, I start to doubt the story. It's like, well, why am I just getting her version? Like, where is her husband? Where is her father? And where that's is her usually sister? the thing that I get stuck on with any of these things is like, what is missing from this story? Yeah. Like, And it's usually that kind of corroboration, that kind of additional yeah. sourcing for any of the information. I'm going to say this, though. Yes. I think that... A, I love a good trashy reenactment for its own campsake. Mm -hmm. Bad wigs, particularly. You really love a bad I wig. I love a bad wig. I am really. I love a bad, bad wig. I love a bad, bad wig. I just <laughs> really, it is my thing. That's part of my jam, and that's how I roll. But I also think that sometimes reenactments, and and I think lawyers actually use them in in court to kind of give mm. you the idea of how something complicated unfolds. Sure, the choreography yeah. of the murder. I yeah. think that sometimes they can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think they also use them to establish atmosphere. Sometimes they're just atmospheric. The best ones on, on, on in true crime are just atmospheric. Like yeah. you just are showing that it's Christmas or you just are showing that oh, I they're, at the, they're sailing on the lake or you just are creating an environment yeah. and a sort of lifestyle picture of something that's mm -hmm. going on. and But you're not actually having... When they start talking, they're usually dead in the that's water. That's it. That's, that's it. usually the kiss of death. Occasionally they can get away with it because they actually... There's some we've seen where there's the acting is actually pretty good. And it's yeah. some people who I've have been on some of them. There's one Canadian one that we've done where the oh, actors yeah, are actually like, yeah. I've seen them do other stuff, like legitimate. I think the case that haunts me is what it's called. We've so. done a couple. It's very high quality. <laughs> very high I quality. agree with you. I agree but, with you. But yeah. usually when they open their mouths and start talking, that's the end. It's going to kill But I'll it. tell you the thing about that show, and maybe the reason it works for, on a scripting level, is it's really one detective experience of a yeah. case and they really they build that detective almost like a character because they're talking about yeah. the thing that haunts them it's right. not they're not trying and they're making it clear this is going to be very much an editorial presentation of this i'm telling you my version of this story right and so those things help explain the things that you're that the the story is telling and give you something else to look at besides oh good another shot of those trees i know I know so many trees. Yeah. Okay. So next week is Thanksgiving here. It's here. It's here in the United States. Here at the dinner party show. Here everywhere. It's Thanksgiving, but not Canada. They have their own Thanksgiving on a different date. Because they're week. not sharing. They're not sharing. They're not. Th they're, <laughs> they're thankful, but they're not sharing. Those Canadians. <laughs> they're thankful Donald Trump was never their president. That's what they're really. Although thankful I don't for. think Rob Ford was that much better. But anyway, I'm president. I mean, prime minister. Uh, or he was. I'm, I'm uh, we're gonna piss off all our Canadians here. I, I think he was mayor idea. of Toronto. He was oh, a was Trumpian. That, yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh God, I had forgotten that. Oh guy. yeah. That was wild. That was wild. <clears throat> and in honor of Thanksgiving, we're doing something totally new. We are. <laughs> wow, it really, and people think I'm the old thotty one. Wait a minute, are you talking about the VIPP? And yes. We already talked about that at the beginning, but we'll talk about it again. Um, we're doing the VIPP. <laughs> Just like we said we were going to at the beginning. 
I was teasing the next episode, which is going to be Homicide for the Holidays, the last Thanksgiving, season five, episode one. Get your barf bag ready. Are you, are you feeling good? One. Are you this feeling good? good? Are you good? You got that yeah, in there? I got it in there. Okay, so yes, and we are doing something new called the VIPP Insider episode. Uh, we are going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about the Netflix show Bodies. Which involves multiple crime investigations in multiple generations mm-hmm. by multiple um, really attractive, some of them maybe gay, um, detectives. Um, maybe gay. And there yeah. may be sci- a science fiction component to uh-huh. it, and there may be, but there's also a murder investigation component to it and a cult. Invest- it is really like I did not, I was not prepared for it to be. You thought as it much was going to suck. I recommended I it. I really did. I thought, yeah, there's too much going on, and they're never going to be able to bring it back together. And you will hear all about what we did, what kept us going, and how we managed to binge watch it, more or less. If you sign up for our mailing list, which is <laughs> free, there's no charge involved in any of this, but our mailing list subscribers, and the sign up is over at thedinnerpartyshow.com, uh, will be invited to join an exclusive Facebook group, and we will, call, we will call you the VIPPs, the very important party people. And we will have an off-the-books spoiler-filled discussion, so we encourage you to watch yes. the series first because we will not hold back. We didn't, we couldn't talk about it on the show because we didn't want, that's what inspired us to do this, because we didn't want it to be, we didn't want to do spoilers on a show that was as much fun as this. But... The place to sign up is at thedinnerpartyshow.com. That's where you can then find your place to sign up for that mailing list. That's right. So that we can um, get you that information and so you can be um, a member of VIPP. And as we say, all of our party people are very important to us, but the VIPPs are people who have signed up for the mailing list. And this is what I'm thinking, and I'm throwing this out there without talking to Eric about it first, which he loves. I'm just Even crazy though about he this. he does that to me all the time. Um, I don't think Shea Butters will be managing the VIPP group. I think Shay, we will keep Shay on this on the main page so that we all can talk directly to our lovely party people without that bitch getting th- in the way. I think we'll see how it go- how it plays out because we may need his intervention from time to time. <laughs> but yeah. intervention? What is he? Okay. Anyway, we'll to we'll do talk work. About we, it. To do shit work, we don't feel like doing. Um, <laughs> if he's but not yeah, robbing us. But next week it's homicide for the holidays. And and we've got a Thanksgiving that you are going to want to forget, Boy. but you never will. Boy. Until next time and forever after, I'm Queasy Christopher. Queasy Christopher. <laughs> and I'm wretched Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. Sign up to be a VIPP. This is TDPS.